buddy, buddy. It's Angel. You know how they allow you one phone call? Well, this is it. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we explore the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. Coming to you fresh and and squeaky clean in this new year. Oh, yeah. I am Nathan Paletta. And I am Epidiah Ravishaw. That's right. This is our this is our first recording of the new year, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is, uh, yeah. So whenever this gets to you, happy early 2019. <laughs> this year feels a decade long already. <laughs> it feels like it's already been about eight months and it's been about three and a half weeks. If, if everything is already set on fire and fallen around everybody's ears, congratulations on still having a podcast player and yes. choosing to escape for a brief bit of time with uh, our our hearkening back to the halcyon days of the <laughs> mid 1970s, where nothing was was problematic at all. It's funny you should say that. So I uh, I've been trying to consume more podcasts, right? Like I want to see what's out there and enjoy it. And it's hard because my day job is writing, and I can't listen to people talk while I write. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, I need to go to the gym to, mm. to maintain this middle-aged body of mine. This is an audio format, but you can all <laughs> imagine the bodacious bod that is being displayed to me right now. <laughs> so I listen to podcasts while I'm at the gym, and it turns out that more recent podcasts keep mentioning that it could, that people could be listening to their podcast in some post-apocalyptic <laughs> sense. <laughs> and I d- it's in the air. Mm-hmm. It is closing in. We have millennial fever. Yeah, anyways, the point is the Rockford Files. <laughs> We're actually going to be venturing into a two-parter Yeah. for this episode. Epidia, which two-parter did you choose and why? Uh, oh, this was recommended to me by uh, listeners Sam Anderson and Kate Freeman. This is The Trees, The Bees, and T.T. Flowers. Uh, and I... I got to tell you, uh, aside from commanding performances throughout, I do not remember why they recommended it. So now <laughs> they will tell me. Mm-hmm. These are listeners to the podcast who also I happen to know IRL, as they say. Um, and they'll tell me again why why they did it. But I'm very, very happy they did. I, I do mm-hmm. really enjoy this episode. And we're so we're doing a two-parter here. Mm-hmm. And I have a... Uh, I guess a technical question for you. Mm-hmm. When we go into this, are we are we going to think about it as two separate episodes, or should we just go into it as a single episode? The main area where that might cause confusion for me is that it has two preview montages, right? And I have some things to say about that second preview montage. I feel like we should consider this as one episode that happens to have a preview montage in the middle. Okay. I think it really feels like one long episode. Yeah. And it's actually a little different than the uh, the, the previous two-parter that we've done for the show, which was Gear Jammers, which though did have a continuous story through the two parts, each episode kind of had its own little internal arc. Mm-hmm. And there was a very sharp break between the two in terms of how they like framed yeah. the second episode. Which may we'll talk about when we get to that transition here, because I think it's a good point of contrast. But uh, this one really feels much more like a continuous single story to me, including the the framing device for it, yes. which actually is is very very clever. I think actually, um, yeah, and is used to construct 
the two halves for TV without dividing them into two narrative chunks. Yeah, no, I was going to say that there's this interesting bit where uh, we get the same scene from the framing narrative at the mm-hmm. beginning of each episode where the second episode extends it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, let's do this. All right, so speaking of the the framing device, uh, I think it's worth talking about our writer here a little bit. Oh, yeah. So the writer of this episode is Gordon Dawson, who we have encountered on our show before. Uh, he wrote Pastoria Prime Pick, which was our episode 14, as well as The Competitive Edge, which is our episode 33, among and, and uh, uh, like five or six more past this episode. But what I thought was interesting with this these three in particular is that they're all slightly fantastical stories like the, the the plot of them is a little like why would that ever happen but they all are around some kind of uh some kind of social dynamic mm-hmm. it's not as a full-on like double barrel at the audience here's a social issue as right. so help me god but they are kind of about a thing that happens to be relevant to uh probably you know like like some kind of systemic issue in actual society through the lens of Rockford getting drawn into something and then having to figure out uh, what's going on. So I thought that was interesting. One of the things that I really dug about this episode was uh, there's some bits that are a bit unsettling mm-hmm. and you get them from Rocky's point of view. Rocky is witness to them. And then he tries to get Jim involved and Jim is being reasonable, but also if Jim had witnessed what Rocky had witnessed, there's no way Jim would be resisting. Right. I really dig how that is set up because, you know, I'm personally predisposed <laughs> to agreeing with James Gardner. Like mm-hmm. at any time he says anything, no matter what, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so there's this point in the beginning of it where he presents the way society can dismiss this thing happening. Right. Like. That's what Rockford Rockford can dismiss it in the same way that society does. Like, well, you're you're overreacting a little. This is you know, and Rocky's not overreacting. Right. Yeah. Um, some other interesting things about Gordon Dawson, particularly relevant to this episode, he's primarily like a rest, a Western writer. Like yeah. most of his work is in the westerns. He was actually ended up being pretty close to uh, Sam Peckinpah and worked with him on. Lots of projects. Um, he wrote, uh, co-wrote with Peckinpah, uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Gar- Garcia, which I have heard of and not seen, but want to. Uh, so, you know, this is all IMDb stuff. And I was trying to find out a little more about him. Uh, I actually found a podcast interview with him uh, from this podcast called Legends of Film, which I found on the Nashville Public Library website. Oh, wow. Uh, we'll include a link in, in the show notes. This person interviewing him was mostly asking him about Peckinpah uh, stuff. But um, there's a couple bits where he mentions the Rockford Files and he because he was originally a wardrobe guy, like he did wardrobe for TV. <laughs> really? That's like how he started in, 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 in pictures. Oh, OK. Like originally, not not with the rock. It wasn't no, like no. he was working on the Rockford Files and they're like, you know what? You did a great job with this, you know, yellow suit jacket. <laughs> Why don't you write us an episode? No, he was working on uh, uh there was a movie that he was doing wardrobe for where, like, the main wardrobe person, like, 
fled to Mexico and something happened and he ended up getting promoted to being the main wardrobe person. And that was like the first time he worked with Sam Peckinpah. Anyway, you can listen to the interview, but he mentions how, uh, but he also wrote and he wanted to write for TV and movies. And he, what broke him through as a writer was the Rockford files. Oh, nice. And that that's what got his writing career off the ground and that there were great people to work with. Another testament to the general sense of it being a just a great crew of people uh, working on the show. And also, they talk a little bit about Gandalf Finch because he wrote the first Gandhi episode, Hammer of oh. Seablock, which we haven't done yet. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Why haven't we done that? I one know, yet? right? Put that on the list. So two things, well, I guess three things. First, uh, he had no say over casting, so it's not like he was like, bring me Isaac Hayes. Right. Uh, so, But he wrote the role. Gandalf was originally Randolph, and he typoed the R into a G, and then went, oh, that's that's good, and just kept it. So that's how Gandalf Finch. That's awesome. Wait, wait, are you telling me that Gandalf Finch wasn't named by the elves of Numenor? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know enough Tolkien to improv that. Somebody's going to um, the Numenarians were human. <laughs> Thank you, instant correction. Uh, but yeah, that was in like the second season. Um, and I guess by the time he was pitching more shows for them and they trusted him more, he did have the pull to, to ask for casting. Ah. The reason that uh, Struther Martin is in this two-parter, he is T.T. Flowers, as we'll get to. He's an iconic Western character actor. Uh, Gordon Dawson said, I want him to be in this script. And like, he wouldn't do it unless they agreed to that. And they did, obviously. So that's awesome. We can thank Gordon that we get the wonderful, <laughs> uh, the, the star turn here. Uh, no, it's really, which is really fun. Like, uh, he's a great character. So yeah. So that was in this, this, this random podcast that I found. So I was glad to stumble across that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing research. I'm here for fun facts and you're here to keep me honest. That's okay. That's how this works. Okay. We could do that. This episode is directed by Jerry London, who we've seen a number of times by now. Uh, Tall Woman in Wet Wagon, Just by Accident, and one of our most recent episodes, uh, 43, a, a Bad Deal in the Valley, where we talk about him a little bit more, um, which I think breaks our tie because we we're saying that we like Tall Woman in Wet Wagon. We don't really like Just by Accident. Yeah. Bad Deal in the Valley was pretty good. And then this one, I think, tips it yeah. over into, uh, I think he's he's doing good work on this show. The first one we did is the first one he did, I think. I right? think so. Uh, started off strong. So, speaking of keeping me honest, Epidiah, yeah. we start off this two-parter with a preview montage. Tell me all about it. You know, I actually... I have lost my notes on the preview montage. I don't know why, but let me tell I'll make it up to you when we get to the second preview montage, okay. because there's an amazing thing that happens in that one. And I'd love to highlight that, but we'll wait till then. So this is my preview montage for our episode. Wait for the next preview montage. <laughs> my quick notes on the preview montage so that we know what we're getting into is that we have some guys yelling turning out that this is uh, Strother Martin, T.T. Flowers. Rocky's involved. There's a conspiracy of some kind. Electrocution is involved. Jim is clearly running a con. And then there's an exploding truck. Yes. 
In this two-parter, we are going to get a lot of Rocky. We'll get a little bit of Beth, a little bit of Becker. But our only appearance from Angel is the phone call that he made to Jim in the message that you heard at the top of our episode. Yeah. And then clearly Jim was not able to get back to him because he got involved with all of this. It is. uh, But I mean, pound for pound is a great character moment for Angel. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to 200 a Day. This podcast is supported by all of our listeners, but especially our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 today. If you're digging the show and want to help us keep on making it, you can join them for just $1 an episode. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Mike Gillis, a host of the Radio vs. the Martians podcast, you know is the McLaughlin Group for nerds, RadioVersTheMartians.com. Kevin Lovecraft, hear him on the RPG Actual Play podcast, the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars, over at MisdirectedMark.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, Chris, and Dave P. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter, at Richard Haddam. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, and check out patreon.com slash 200 today to see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. We talked a little bit about this framing device. It's a eulogy, right? And it's Rocky giving the eulogy. I, I would just like to state that if I had my druthers, I would have Rocky giving my eulogy (laughs) but i think that this is like uh kind of an amazing thing to do here because we don't have any history with uh tt flowers as audience members right we've we don't know anything about tt flowers we've never met him by having rocky be tt's friend and giving this eulogy where he you know, you have that moment where you can just kind of barf some exposition into the baby bird into the audience's (laughs) mouth that's Mm -hmm. fine but you get to do it through the character of Rocky, which is something you would just sit and watch anyways. Like there's certain people that could just tell you what's going on in the <laughs> movie and you're like, yeah, please keep telling me more. Um, but also it, it immediately endears you to this character who is going to be, you know, obstinate. He's going to be a problem in some ways. I don't want to suggest that I don't sympathize with with T.T. <laughs> T. Uh, T. T. Flowers at all, because I, I absolutely do. I think he should be a problem. But like, it's always hard to get an audience on someone's side, uh, particularly if the person is of a particular of a demographic that audiences are used to um, dismissing. Right? Mm-hmm. He's he's an older gentleman, and and that's part of of the what this episode is about is that he's got concerns and beliefs that he holds very dear that the the rest of society just kind of dismisses, mm-hmm. and that allows for him to be uh, preyed upon. Mm-hmm. So having Rocky present this eulogy lets you know that we're going to be talking about this old guy who's old friends with Rocky and immediately endears us to him. Right. We all love Rocky. Why wouldn't we ro- love Rocky's uh, old, old buddy?
So some of the, as you say, uh, some of what's baby birded to us uh, yeah. through this eulogy. <laughs> this is a friend of Rocky's who uh, loves the outdoors and nature, and uh, he specifically mentions the bees. The bees are a big motif in this yes. uh, in this episode. So he, he headed out away from the city to his farm that he called Freedom. Yes, he was married, but his wife uh, his wife died, and he raised his daughter as best he could. But uh, there's this great, I think, key line here. Where where he says, my friend T.T. said that cities made men poor, women old, and everyone lonesome. Yes. We, we fade from this eulogy. So there's like organ music going on, right? Right. And then it kind of fades into like, yeah. like flashback music. Non-ironic flashback music. <laughs> uh, I was there when they took T.T. Flowers away. But before, before we get to that fade, there are two bits, I think, that uh, visually stand out that are foreshadowing mm -hmm. Rocky's arm is in a sling and we do get a picture of TT's daughter. I think when he's mentioning her and she looks like she has used some makeup to cover up some bruises on her face. Right. If you know nothing else, if you've never seen a Rockford files before, you're going to go, Oh, wait a minute here. <laughs> like we're at a funeral here are two people. And the two things we know about them is that they know the guy who has died and they both appear to be uh, visibly injured in some way. So I probably, because I was like taking notes and stuff, I actually did not notice Rocky's arm until the oh. next time we see uh, this the eulogy. Uh, and I remember thinking, was that in the first one or is the camera closer so that we see it now? I have to admit, my notes literally in the second one says, Rocky's got a sling. I didn't notice that before. Mm -hmm. So... So maybe we don't see that until the second one. Uh, I, I would invite our, our listeners to correct me. But yes, as we go, we go back to when they took T.T. Flowers away. Uh, so as mentioned, T.T. Flowers is played by Struther Martin, uh, a, a Bonanza and Gunsmoke uh, alum, also a friend of uh, Sam Peckinpah, apparently. Um, but he was in Cool Hand Luke. He was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He was in The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Um, <laughs> I would not be able to name him but i'm sure that from now on because i've looked him up i will notice yeah. him in every single western that he happens <laughs> yeah. to be in going forward so and he's just a delight so we're at freedom where rocky and tt are looking after his bees he has his beekeeper hat thing on yeah there's a lot of of business kind of establishing what the deal is with with what is going on T.T. mentions that uh, there, there's a neighbor that he doesn't like. He sees him across the street and he's yelling at him. Talks about how he threw a rock at him once and hit yes. him right in the butt, uh, which is foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> but across the street from this from this farm, Freedom, are these apartment buildings. And T.T. is mad because they keep on trying to take all his land. They want to build more apartments. But he was there first. You know, every year the county just wants more and more money. But he's been there. It's his land. He's not going to pay all those fees and taxes. And yeah. uh, Rocky, of course, is like, well, you got to pay your taxes. Yeah. Which is <laughs> funny coming from Rocky. Yes, yeah, it is. Uh, and this is the like one bit that I found, you know, the bird and otherwise smooth finish here was uh, Rocky's intimate understanding of T.T. Uh, Flowers tax bill and when it's due. And <laughs> like it was obviously something to present the audience so we understood what was at stake and what was being uh, discarded. But like I was like, wait, wait, why does Rocky know <laughs> those taxes are overdue? 
But the, I definitely felt like at one point he had more information than he was letting on. But. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another just piece of exposition uh, yeah. in this context. But uh, Rocky says that, uh, you know, he should get himself a lawyer, right? Yeah. Then a, uh, a couple of people arrive. This is TT's daughter, Kathy, um, and her husband, Sherman, or Sherm, as he's referred to Sherm. often. Yes, so bad. If I had, I'm sorry, I, I apologize to any Sherman that might be listening to us. But I, I don't like Sherm as a nickname. I would not go with by Sherm. The Royals, Sherman Royal, a strong villain name. Yeah. No spoilers, but uh, yeah. Um, so they're there, but it's not a social visit. There's some family business. I kind of like how this this is framed, where um, TT tells Rocky to go finish milking spot or whatever there's a goat so he's he has to finish milking the goat uh while they talk about their family business and so we have the camera on rocky milking this goat while we're like hearing the conversation they're having off camera like he would be overhearing it kind of yeah it's i like how that's framed and then it kind of cuts back and forth a little bit um showing that there's something really serious happening yeah you're not invited to it you're eavesdropping along with rocky it's a delicate conversation yeah because they're telling him that, you know, they've made a decision and that he can't stay on the farm. He's not able to take care of it by himself. It's going to be for his own good. He needs to go. And then this green van that's marked with Horizons Crest Seniors Home uh, pulls into the driveway. And two beefy guys in white coats literally come and grab him by the arms and yeah. uh, drag him into the van, kicking and screaming. This is the unsettling bit that I was talking because. And I mean, props to Struther who made this unsettling. Oh, yeah. There, there's something about the nice fine men in white jackets sort of coming to take me away. You know, it's it feels like a joke. It feels like a cliche. And then they grab him and the way he pleads for help mm-hmm. from Rocky, you're just like, oh, God, <laughs> like you, you feel all of his agency being sucked out of him. Right. right. Like he, that's it. There's there's no. Uh, you feel as helpless as he does, which is great. This, this scene gives us all the context we need to feel how bad that is. He's at this farm. It's clearly his. Uh, there's lots of animals. There's all these signs about all the stuff he sells, his honey and his milk and his eggs and stuff. Like, yeah. It's not like he's an infirm person who can't get no, around. He's... Like He's hale and he's having a perfectly fine conversation with Rocky and he's in his home. And then yeah. these guys just literally grab him and drag him away. And it's like, oh, my God. To, to add to this, right, like this is his daughter witnessing it. Right. Right. Like the, the son-in-law, uh, Sherm, we mentioned that he's played by Alex Rocco. Uh, he's just an actor that I recognize and is often playing this kind of role. Uh, this role is actually deeper than it looks in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, you, you when you see him, you're like, yeah, he's the bad guy. Yeah, he's kind of like a slimy mob-ish kind of yeah. guy. So that's fine. You see him, you're like, yeah, something uh, nefarious is about to happen. But she looks like she legitimately – she's not like a scheming villainess, right? She's like crying. She's like yeah. in tears and is trying to tell uh, TT that it's for his own good. 
and she's telling Rocky that it's for his own good, but she's yeah. like, she's clearly devastated at this decision that she made, which actually comes back. We, she talks about that later in the episode. Yeah. I definitely did not feel that she was being underhanded. She's someone who made a hard decision and yeah. is now watching the consequences of that decision. We go from there to Rocky talking to Jim in his trailer. Where Jim is making tacos. Yay! Hard shell, roll your own family style, put your toppings in your taco. It's a beautiful thing. Rocky tells him what happened uh, while he's making his tacos. Uh, and Jim, this is, I think, what you were talking about earlier, where Jim's kind of yeah. playing the it's not as bad as you, like, it can't possibly be as bad as you think. Yeah. He can't get involved. Uh, it's all legal. You know, the, the the family is basically going through the process to declare TT, there's a term for it, uh, that he has a, a diminished capacity and yeah. can't take care of himself. It's a shame, but it's what's happened, right? Like, it, we shouldn't get involved. That's a private affair that doesn't, you know. Right. But Rocky wants him to check it out. He has this whole thing about how if it's, if it's money, that's the issue. If yeah. all you want is money, he's willing to sell his truck to yeah. pay Jim to uh, to look into this. The the way he says that is so wonderfully accusatory because I think he says something like, it's a money thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, this is why you won't do it. Jim is trying to play him off as like, it's trying to play off as the reasonable one. Like the reasonable thing here is that we just let nature take its course and that's, yeah. you know, whatever. But Rocky has witnessed what happened and can't imagine Jim dismissing it. So he's like, well, oh, then obviously it's because you're not going to get paid. And that's that's the kind of son I've raised. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, like, uh, but it's it's not a money thing, right? We know Jim. Jim always needs money, but he's it's not a money thing. Once Rocky starts saying oh, yeah. that he's willing to sell his truck, right? Yeah. He's like, okay, fine. You know, like if it's that important to you, he'll look into it. But uh, TT is not, uh, he's not supposed to have visitors or take phone calls. Uh, so Jim's going to have to start with the family. I would think that no visitors or phone calls would have been the first thing. Got Jim to go, wait a minute. Mm. But as we'll find out, there's a great way they get Jim to go. Wait a minute. <laughs> this scene, I think, is also the pretty much the only food and pretty much the only money. Yeah, this is reference in this whole episode. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for joining us at 200 a day. <laughs> Our job here is done. Just in case you were you were waiting to see if there were more tacos. Unfortunately, yeah. no. So th this episode is not very funny. There's not really humor no. or jokes. So there's this technique of of you know doing a cut on the on the word to get us to the next scene, and I usually call that a joke in the cut because they usually are humorous. Uh, these ones are not jokes. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, Jim says I'm going to have to start with the family, and we cut to seeing Kathy, and he's yep. talking to her at their palatial estate, apparently, with a pool and a bar with a telephone on it outside. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and this this episode also um, it, it adds a little bit to this, but I think you can track somebody's villainy in the Rockford Files by the places they can access a phone. Mm -hmm. Almost every villain has a car phone. Right. Uh, a lot of villains get phones taken to them out by the pool <laughs> yeah or if they're on a boat they have mm -hmm. a phone access to a phone means a villain 
In this case, I mean, I think it's no spoiler to say that Kathy's not really a villain here. No, no, but that's true. She, her lifestyle is supported by her husband, who is a shady yeah, dealer. At least aspires to villainy. <laughs> and I don't think we're meant to think that she's villainous. Like, I don't no. think that's like a reveal or anything, um, which is a good kind of like restrained treatment of, of this character. Yeah. But yeah, so Jim's talking to Kathy and she kind of lays out you know, what's happening from their perspective. She says that he's, he's having trouble. He's get, basically, he's getting senile. They've had him under observation for a month from a psychiatrist, Benjamin Christ. Yes. And he agrees they're keeping him on, under observation until his uh, interview in, in three days, which is to kind of rubber stamp this determination of diminished capacity. And then all of his affairs are turned over to the family, right? To Kathy and, and her husband. Jim tries to dig to find out, like, where all this came from. First of all, she's like, no one told me what to think. This is what I think. Right. But I think that's important. Kathy, like, does not think that she's being conned conned or anything. anything. Yeah. But the psychiatrist was a recommendation from her husband's lawyer uh, because they talked to him because they started getting worried for, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, And the lawyer said that this is the way it's done. You don't confront him directly. You go to a psychiatrist and they observe him and blah, 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 blah. Jim's like, oh, so it's all behind his back. Yeah. And she's like, this is what they recommended. This is what the professionals think. And then when he asks about why he can't uh, visit him, she says that Dr. Christ says that visitors interfere with his transition to institutional life. Uh, and so there's no visitors until they feel like he's acclimated to his new his new. Uh, oh, God, it's just a horrifying thought, right? Like we're going to throw you in this room for your own good so that you get used to this room. We're not going to let anyone visit you, mm-hmm. uh, especially not the people that threw you in this room. This portrait is not painted uh, in such a way that I feel like this is being done just based on what we've seen of T.T. Flowers so far. It yeah. doesn't feel like this is in his best interests. No. And I like at this point, I, I don't want to characterize Jim as not uh, like he's on the hook now. Something doesn't feel right. Yeah. There's a point where they really get him on the hook. Again, I keep foreshadowing this moment. Well, it's a good moment. Yeah. So uh, in case there was any any question about, oh, about yeah. <laughs> motivations here we we go from this conversation to uh an observation room where uh dr christ uh and another doctor are observing tt who's tied to a bed and kind of like moaning and thrashing around and chris tells the other doctor to give him all these like drug cocktails and you know uses all these various terms because he wants him paranoid and disoriented by 9 a.m on friday I wrote down, I want him paranoid and disoriented by 9 a.m. Friday. And then I just said, just have him run a Kickstarter then. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there is no mystery here. This is a hoodwink. This is a bamboozle. Uh, this this Dr. Christ is uh, artificially creating the appearance of senility for reasons. And the reasons are the mystery. Christ is played by Richard Venture, who we last saw in In Hazard as the guy who gets murdered in the beginning. Uh, that's the one where Beth gets poisoned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Turns out to be like a labor embezzlement thing. Anyway, I just I was like, oh, we've seen him in another one. Yeah. Oh, he's the dude who makes a phone call and then just gets murdered. <laughs> he's very slimy here. Um, so we go outside this location, the Horizons Crest senior home. 
uh, where Jim is kind of scoping the place out and we see Chris leaving in his very nice red sports car, which we will come back to in, in later <laughs> scenes. Um, and a quick little cut of Jim using his mobile business card press to print himself exactly one business card. Of all the pieces of technology uh, that I wish I had from like these shows that I see, uh, it would be great to just have a, a mobile business card press to call upon. Uh, actually, the first appearance of the business card press was in Tall Woman and Red Wagon, which was the first episode oh, we did, yeah. and also first directed by this director. Um, clearly, it's been in other episodes, but uh, in case you're not familiar, this is literally a little tiny letter press that Jim keeps in his in his Firebird that he puts little type into and is able to ink and press exactly one business card at a time in order to <laughs> run cons with a fake business card and and quite often with the ink still wet right yeah if you're envisioning like a miniature version of an old-fashioned press you're, you've got it mm. it's not a fangled machine in any way <laughs> i don't know if fangled is a word it is not newfangled so he puts on glasses gets a clipboard and goes into the uh, into the lobby in this two-parter, there are two brilliant uh, – there's the bureaucratic con and then the pressed-upon poor worker con. This one's the bureaucratic con, and he does them both superbly, but like, oh, I love this one. Yeah, so his there's a there's a guy at the desk who you know confronts him, wants to know what he's doing because he's just like looking around and taking notes on his on his uh, clipboard. He shows him the card, but doesn't let him take it right because, as you say, the ink's probably still wet. So yeah. he has this little like maneuver he does where he shows the business card to them, and then as they reach out to take it, he kind of like flips it back into his breast pocket, which is once you notice it, you see it every time he does it, and it's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> but he says that he's a state inspector. You know, he's on a Title One inspection, which is a secret inspection. They're not supposed to know about it. Right. And there's all these penalties for interfering with a Title One inspection. But he and Dr. Christ have an understanding, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> he's just going to go through the motions and uh, he won't get in anyone's way. So this this uh, front desk guy, I think, is one of the guys in the white coats. I don't remember yeah. exactly. He's a goon. He, we will see yeah. him more. He, he goons for a Christ. But he he seems to buy this this story at least. One of my favorite moments in this con is when Jim just starts talking about BU, mm -hmm. and the guy's like, "What, what is B?" And it's bed units. It, it's just the way that Jim effortlessly creates jargon and then pretends that that is a real thing and that <laughs> you're an idiot for not knowing it do they not even give basic training to people these days yeah yeah bed units <laughs> and so it puts the person he's conning in this position to go no no i knew that yeah like yeah bed units i understand look you know i'm only on the desk like three days a week yeah, he starts yeah. defending himself uh it's good um, this is all in service of Jim finding which room TT's in, uh, which yes. he does. And, uh, he, he goes ahead and, and, uh, gets himself over there. Uh, he goes into the room. Uh, TT Flowers is still tied down to this bed. And there's this bit of business that Jim does that, that happens every time Jim comes into this room, which is where he takes TT's glasses and put them on his face because he's like, I can't see like, who are yeah. you? So he like puts his glasses on so they can actually see him. And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Jim. It's one of those things. That's like a very tender physical yeah. interaction. Yeah. Um, like the least he can do is put this guy's glasses on cause he can't do it himself. It, it's nice. 
he does remember Jim, but he's pretty incomprehensible. Um, he's, you know, this whole scene is pretty much him uh, being all goofed up on whatever they've been pumping into him. I, I do love that the thing that he, or the way he recognizes Jim is he's like, you're the kid who always wanted to soup up my tractor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he continually talks about going north. Um, oh, yeah. I thought this was going to turn into something else. Me too. I thought it was like hidden treasure or something. But uh, it turns out it's about the bees and the bee migration. It's also pure poetry too. Like mm. just listening to the words he says, he's got an entire language built around the bees, which I, in some ways is maybe a little reductive, but mm -hmm. in others, like just there's a, a certain beauty to it. It, it. He gets some great insults in oh, on yeah. people that are bee related. And yeah, no, it's great. T.T. Flowers has some poetry in his soul. Uh, we get we see that most clearly in the second um, episode, uh, I think. But again, we'll get to that when we get there. The guy from the front desk does go to uh, get Dr. Christ to check out this inspection, quote unquote. And so they go into the observation room and see Jim talking to T.T. Christ. I, it's not that he knows who he is, but he's like, this is not a state inspector. And he has this line that I think is in the preview montage where he says, our state inspector is going to have a funny accident. Yes. <laughs> As he directs the goon to get that, that tank of nitrous oxide they still have and uh, put it in Jim's car. The sequence concludes with uh, cutting back and forth from Jim at the phone booth outside the clinic, telling Rocky that he thinks that TT is not with it. Like he went and saw him and he was incomprehensible. Rocky's very sad and still kind of not believing that that's what's happening. Yeah. So we're cutting from that to this guy going to the Firebird, opening up this tank of nitrous oxide and hiding it under Jim's seat. So once he gets into it, he's going to be in a laughing gas filled car. <laughs> this is okay. This is leading up to one of my all-time favorite Rockford Files stretches of film. <laughs> uh, I, the, what I have lit, written here on my notes is uh, you were almost free and clear. Like, <laughs> we get that moment where Jim is telling Rocky, like, there's nothing here. Like you said, they keep cutting to these idiots setting up to kill Jim. That's just going to whet his appetite. <laughs> it's just going to put him in a spot where he needs to know what happened. Mm -hmm. Like they, they were golden right. until they did this. So he gets in the car, we get the, the gas going and he starts driving and we see a deliriously happy Jim Rockford, which is not a, a sight we see that often. It is beautiful. He keeps crossing the center line and it's always a truck of some sort that's about to hit him. They do this like kaleidoscope lens effect so that like his so we see his like vision doubling and tripling. Yeah. And he's just laughing it off and laughing it off. And uh, I mean, honestly, I know that he doesn't die here. That's not a <laughs> at stake. That's not on the table. But I was like, you know, they did a good job of, of making me anxious for Jim in these moments. There's some kind of peril that he clearly is in. Uh, but eventually he runs it off the road and stops just before hitting. He just kind of like rolls into like a concrete barrier that's on the side yeah. of the road. And then, and this is the part that I love the most, is him getting out and, mm -hmm. and sucking in the air and trying to end the effects of the laughing gas wearing off and watching James Gardner perform this transformation between drugged up happy Jim to somebody just tried to kill me, Jim. 
is great. Mm -hmm. It's worth watching. This entire two-part episode is worth watching it for that 30-second sequence alone. (laughs) I feel like it's it's wonderful. A little longer than that. Yeah. I had a thought uh, kind of towards the end of the first episode, which was that when you get right down to it, the actual plot of this two-parter could be one episode. Right. Um, It's not particularly convoluted. There's not even like a lot of character depth that we explore. Like like in Gear Jammers, we explored Rocky a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was like a lot of the time spent there. This episode doesn't really have that. um, But... The reason why it's a two-parter, I think, is uh, both to make that framing device kind of worth it, uh, this eulogy framing, which because we're going to come back to that a couple of times. But also, they can just take a little time to have these scenes that are a little longer than they probably would be and just kind of live in the Jim Rockford world. Instead of this being a 20-second, he swerves once and then goes off the road, like, we do spend, like, a good minute, maybe minute and a half uh, going through this, and it's, like, a piece of visual storytelling that we get to enjoy for a little while. Um, and we get that in a couple other scenes as we go forward, and it's kind of nice because it's, it's this sense of, uh, of of letting things breathe, letting the world breathe. Yeah. That is easy to, to lose when you're concentrating on, like, uh, on trying to keep pacing really snappy or... Um, you know, sometimes you can cut, cut too much dead weight and you end up with a very staccato kind of narrative. Right. I think like when you're playing a game, right? Like sometimes maybe if you're not really sure where something's going or someone's just going off on a tangent and you want to kind of let that be part of the world. Uh, so it's just like, let the scene breathe, Yeah. you know, let's not cut away too soon. Let's see where this goes. See what this adds to the texture of our story. Um, so this scene kind of made me think of, of that as a, as a, as an element that was used in this two parter to make it worth the two parts. Yeah, I would agree. You can just see that they clearly enjoyed it too, right? Like mm-hmm. the premise is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. There's ink spilled to explain away why it doesn't immediately get them in trouble, right? right? Like, because that's the other thing. Like, you come from this, you know, this medical facility and it's nitrous oxide that was in your car. Mm. Open and shut <laughs> case. Like, that's just, oh, oh yeah, it's some some <laughs> at the facility did right. that, clearly. Uh, so, th- so they, you know, spend a little time, like, making it so it's not open and shut. Which we get to later, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's kind of worth it for these kind of like, I don't know, memorable, let's let's have some fun yeah. scene making. Well, Jim does not die. Uh, we go to the gas station where his car is getting repaired, I guess, and Rocky's picking him up. And Jim has the line of, uh, someone wants me to die laughing. Yes. <laughs> As you were saying, he's like, well, I must have been wrong. Someone tried to kill me. Yes. And he doesn't know like why that would be, but he wants to find out if you can engineer a judgment of diminished capacity. Mm-hmm. Is this something that is coming because of observations of his behavior or is his behavior being created right. in order to get this judgment? This is kind of nice because I'm like, all right, let's get into it. We're going to we're going to get into yeah. solving this mystery. But really, it's just this next scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that Jim pretends to be someone named uh, named McMahon uh, who's having problems with his dad. And he's in Dr. Christ's office saying that he's having all you know these problems with his dad. And uh, like he doesn't trust banks and he's keeping his money in the fridge and like yeah. all this stuff. His family lawyer is never going to do anything against his dad. Can Dr. Christ recommend someone? And Chris right. recommends 
Tom Brockmeyer, who is Sherman's lawyer, who we heard that name earlier as the lawyer who recommended Dr. Christ to do the observation of TT. As I am saying this, here's a question for you that did not occur to me at the time. Is Jim good enough at disguises that Chris did not recognize him as the state inspector that he had seen in the observation room? Oh, did. All right. Because he did see him. Yeah, I don't know. I'm willing to headcanon this as a context shift thing. Like, yeah, he didn't actually look at Jim. He just saw someone. And then in this other context, he wouldn't think to, like, recognize him. Jim certainly wouldn't know that he saw him, right? He saw him through one way glass. So it like on that account that Jim would hatch the scheme and, and go through with it. It makes sense. It's the whether Dr. Christ would, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, obviously he did. Obviously it worked. In keeping with what we know of this character, he's pretty, he's he's kind of vain and really not that smart when you get right down to it. Yeah. So I'm willing to believe that he just straight up didn't recognize Jim. But that just occurred to me just now because these two scenes are right next to each other. And there's there's also the bit where the whole thing that Jim is offering is so much money. I mean, he hasn't said how much money, but this, mm. you could see the dollar bills in the cartoon eyes of Dr. Chris, right? Like this lawyer, he's expensive, but this is this he's the best. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So once he gets that bit of, you know, that recommendation from Chris, he's back in the in the truck with Rocky and he kind of lays out this scheme for Rocky and for us as the audience. The lawyer gets paid to recommend commitment. Chris signs off on it and then Chris gets paid to have them committed to his institution and then in the institution they do whatever to to make the patient seem incompetent so that it gets signed off on by the public official and everything is legal but uh jim thinks that someone else must be funding this Mm -hmm. there must be money involved these two guys this this uh lawyer doctor scheme only makes sense if someone's paying Right. For the service. Someone has to be doing that. Rocky says that TT thinks that Sherman is a con man. So maybe he should start there. Rocky and Jim go to freedom to feed the animals. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I got to tell you, giving the goat the name spot, like every time they got there, I was like, oh, no. Okay. I think it's still alive. (laughs) Oh, no. Like, oh. To be clear, the animals end up fine. Yeah. They make it clear that the animals are being taken care of by someone every couple scenes, which I appreciated. You never end up going, oh, damn it. But when they go inside the house, uh, Sherman is there shoving stuff in a trash bag. (laughs) Yes. And he says that since they're going to be in charge of TT's affairs, he's taken all this paperwork so that their accountant can sort it out. There's some conversation about the will. I believe that Sherman has not found it yet. This scene escalates quickly. Yeah, he's clearly doing something wrong, and Mm -hmm. there's a time limit on everything that's going on. And I think they do a good job of just letting you know that there's no talking anyone's way out of this Mm -hmm. this isn't like we're beyond that point now people are physically doing things that cannot be reversed right and this is one of those moments so in this conversation they confront sherman with this uh accusation you're using kathy to get tt committed so that you can take over the estate Mm -hmm. and he says that like well yeah because if she didn't do it the county would because he's not paying his taxes yeah. And then these three goons come in and they're asking him, hey, Mr. Royal, uh, you know, <laughs> where, you know, where do you want us to start? We have a dump truck and a dozer out here. And Sherman says to haul everything to the dump. 
Freedom's been sold. Uh, it's all garbage. This angers Rocky. Yeah. We get the sense, I mean, not only is T.T. Rocky's friend, Rocky, like, also loves freedom, right? Like, he yeah. likes this, the, you know, the, the fact that this farm exists is something that he values. We get that in the eulogy. Like, he doesn't say it, but the way he waxes poetically about it, it definitely, yeah. So, Rocky kind of grabs Sherman. Sherman just pushes him, and he goes, he falls backwards into this chair, which sets Jim off. So, Jim goes and shoves Sherman. And then these goons come over and just jump Jim and just start beating the crap out of him. <laughs> Easily overpowering him. I, as I say in my, new, in my notes, Jim gets gooned. Yes. <laughs> There's that moment of like somebody shoves Rocky and boom, Jim is like, oh. Jim, oh, Jim is on the case. Yes. And the other thing I have in my notes here is one of the things I love about what they present in Rocky here is that Rocky just knows everything about TT's history. Mm-hmm. They are old friends that go way back and he just because there's the the lamp that he recognizes Mm, as mm. a gift they got from so and so Uh, i I mean we go back a ways (laughs) if 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 somebody was ransacking your home Mm -hmm. there's very few items i would go wait a minute that's where that's what nathan got for blah 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 i would recognize the shelves that you took from uh the design matters booth that's the only thing i would recognize in your home hey wait a minute (laughs) those are in my dining room Nice. All right. So the goons haul Jim outside and we get the introduction of uh, the true villain of our piece, Jack Mullard. Oh, my God. And this guy doesn't even have to say anything. You know, he's the true villain of the piece, right? You just see him and you're like, yeah. So he's, okay. I think, probably one of the great Rockford recurring villains. Uh, he's yeah. played by Scott Brady. We saw him in Gear Jammers as the bad guy in the limo um, <laughs> and uh, in Local Man Eaten by Newspaper. He was the newspaper editor uh, who hired the proofreader to uh, take care yes. of problems. I believe he might have been in a couple more episodes. He is a great square-jawed, slimy, mm-hmm. mobbed-up guy who was born to sit in the back of a limo and give goons orders. In this case, uh, Jack Mullard is a real estate developer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one who bought all the land around Freedom uh and built apartments on it and there's a whole this kind of comes out over multiple pieces of exposition the farm originally was like 10 acres and now it's down to three acres and that's because tt's had to sell off parts of it over time and muller's the one who's been buying them and like plowing under his trees and building apartments and all that stuff our introduction to mullard here is his thing about you know all of his projects come in on time, no overruns, no overtime, and now you've made me late by one minute. <laughs> if you louse up my schedule again, Rockford, you'll get the second chorus. <laughs> oh, that's punctuated with a goon uh, sucker punching Rockford in the gut. And uh, there's just something about this this guy bragging about being so well organized and on time. And later there's there's a uh, a different point of view to this that comes <laughs> from somebody who's worked with him. But like, it, yeah, I know it's a great, great villain piece. He mentions something about like, you've had quite the day, haven't you, Rockford? <laughs> and then uh, he kind of dismisses Jim and goes to talk to Sherman. And they have some a bit about uh, how he hasn't found it yet. He's been looking mm-hmm. for something and he hasn't found it yet. So Jim, he doesn't know what their game is, but he thinks they're probably looking for the will. And if he can find the will first, maybe he can slow down whatever they're doing. Uh, also a keynote, you know, isn't it interesting that Mullard already knew about his 
the thing with the gas, this like accident mm-hmm. that he almost had. Yeah, yeah. So that connects Mullard to uh, Dr. Christ for Jim and for us. I feel like that way of establishing the connection, I think that's a really strong thing. <laughs> like, I think that technique yeah, yeah. was very strong. Just an offhanded gloat from this new villain. It's not even a before I kill you, Mr. Rockford. Right. Uh, yeah, it's an offhanded gloat. It's clearly to let Rockford know that there's nothing he does that is a secret to to this guy. Like, I'm a mastermind. I'm in charge Everything I do is on time. I know everything you've done. Mm-hmm. But more specifically for the audience, it yeah, it just ties it all together. And it moves kind of the the discovery portion of the story along because now Rockford knows something he did not know before, which yeah. is that Mullard must have some connection to Christ. Uh, Christ has a connection to Sherman, and Sherman has a connection to Mullard. Yeah. Uh, so he can start triangulating to figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah. Jim now has another con. <laughs> yes, this is one of my favorite cons here. But go on, yeah. This is an all-time great. Um, yeah. So he's back at the institution. He's in a phone booth. He's calling a tow truck company, uh, and he says he needs a tow, and he describes, you know, what he needs. And he says, I'm going to be inside, so honk when you get here. Yeah. So he sets that up. Uh, and then we see from the outside that uh, Chris comes to the facility. It's nighttime, so there's a guard. The guard lets him in and then locks the door after him. So we know the place is locked. There's his guard. Jim waits. We have a shot of uh, something dripping from underneath the the green van. Mm -hmm. Uh, The tow truck shows up. It honks. The security guard goes out to talk to the tow truck to find out why the hell this guy's honking. And so the door is unlocked. So Jim slips in. So that's the whole purpose of this con, right? Part one. Um, (laughs) Yes. So once Jim's in there, he goes to TT's room. He goes into the observation room and he sees Chris and the other doctor in TT's room talking about what they're going to need to do to induce the symptoms of chronic brain syndrome. I kept meaning to look that up if that is. It just seems like it's not a thing. Oh, it is. So the two doctors are discussing whatever. They leave. And so this whole time, TT's been just like mumbling about like walking on the seashore and waves and sand and bees and going north and whatever they leave and he turns and just yells after them like yells something i think a bee related insult you foul brooded drones Mm, foul brooded drones yes that was i'm gonna put that right here in my breast pocket right next to my heart (laughs) So I could use it sometime in the future. So I was like, oh, does that mean he's been faking uh, his, right. his, his uh, non-lucidity? And I think that's confirmed when Jim goes in and he starts, he lapses back into mumbling all the stuff he was saying. And then Jim puts his glasses on. He's like, hey, you know, it's, it's Jim. Uh, finally, TT is with it enough to actually talk to Jim. Yeah. And he says they're going to do all these do all these drugs to him. They're going to try this thing called ECT and Jim says to him and I think to us to the audience, yeah. that's not a drug. That's electroconvulsive therapy. Yeah. What we make colloquially know as uh shock therapy. I think Jim says like, "Oh, it's an act." And uh TT is like, it ain't an act, boy. I've been some places today. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to outer space. I've been to, oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. So uh, TT does not like this idea. <laughs> he does not want yes. to be electrocuted, no. which is fair. So yeah. ECT, like, I think 
look, I'm no expert and I don't have any direct knowledge with this, but my understanding is that it's been pretty conclusively thrown out as yeah. an effective therapy uh, for anything. I wonder, some similar to uh, 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 another Dawson episode, The Competitive Edge, mm-hmm. where Jim ends up being involuntarily taken to this uh, mental institution and drugged up mm-hmm. in kind of a similar way to TT, actually. So that was also written by Dawson? Yeah. Oh, he's got some... He's got some demons. He's got, he's got something he's working <laughs> he's, he's out He's got here. something or something he's very concerned about. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but yeah, this whole sense of like, yeah, having your agency taken away and all these, these treatments that are supposed to make you better, but they really don't, you know, but they're really yeah. taking you away from yourself and stuff like that. It is very effectively shown here as not things that we should accept. Yeah. Uh, that said, Jim tells him what's going on with the with with freedom, and you know they're basically trying to uh, sell the land. PT is concerned about the animals, and so we get another moment of like Rocky and your friends are there taking the animals away, yes. like tonight, <laughs> like they're taking them so that they'll be safe, which I think is great. We cut outside. The tow truck is taking away the van because that's what Jim actually called for. The van is broken, so yes. the tow truck guy checked it out the radiator's leaking so he's towing it away and uh the the doctor's like why is that happening the cherry on top of this con is that jim gave the name of the orderly that he'd been talking to earlier that day uh steve or whatever so that that was an actual person at the facility who ordered yes. it so the guard looked at it and went oh steve fisher ordered it it's yeah. legit yeah, uh, it's like it's not complex. Everyone who is wrapped up in it has a legitimate source of authority. It's like if I told you that I had made the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's <laughs> what this is, right? Like it's it's it has no pretensions. It's just effective. It mm-hmm. just does it. It just gets it done and does it in in, in a no nonsense way. I love it. I, it 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 is exquisite. Back in DT's room, uh, Jim says he can't just write a new will because he's been declared incompetent. Yeah. So TT tells Jim where the deed and his will is, which are somewhere in the living room, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he doesn't care what happens to him. Just stop Mullard from destroying freedom. And then we cut from this back to our eulogy frame. Yes. In case you were wondering, TT is still dead. Like that's the- <laughs> and it, it basically comes back. It cuts back on him being like, I don't care what happens to me. Right. And right. And we go back to the eulogy. Um, I do not remember the first time I watched this, what I thought about the status of the eulogy. Right. Since I've seen it once before. I Right. We know what's coming. We know what's coming here. Yeah. But I feel like it, if you're watching it for the first time, there's no reason not to think that this is legitimately a eulogy for TT, except for the sense of like, they pull this kind of stuff all the time on the Rockford Files. So yeah, maybe yeah. it's not. <laughs> it's, in, it's in his catalog of scams. Sorry, cons. The villains do scams. He does cons. Yeah, sorry. And this is the, the time when I noticed that Rocky's arm was in the sling. Yes. Yes. So... Uh, adding to the sense of impending danger. Uh, part of his eulogy gets back around to leaving the city because the city didn't care. And that's when we fade back to the timeline. Yes. Soft focus on Dennis. Or <laughs> Den- Dennis Becker, representing the city not caring, Yes, <laughs> is laying out for Jim what a ridiculous conspiracy this sounds like. <laughs> like so you're saying like a psychiatrist, an attorney a real estate developer and this uh, lawyer 
are all conspiring to steal three acres of land from this old guy in a different county. <laughs> yes. And th- this is where we hear about Milt. Milt? Milt is the guy at the SEC mm. that Jim... So the reason why I, I glommed onto Milt here is that Dennis lets on that Milt has a case open on the... On uh, Sherman. Sherman, yeah. Rockford knows right away that the first name basis this is the sec guy <laughs> like of course rockford knows the sec guy <laughs> yeah that's oh milt oh okay yeah that makes sense um i love it because th- there's something about the rockford files where yeah he'll get tangled up with mobsters and things like that but also it's the boring crimes that he's <laughs> you know like he i yeah i think we've established you know in in other episodes that it's like the stuff where Jim actually makes money are the really boring things. Yeah. Right. Um. <laughs> the, the in-between stuff where he's he's just running. And this is in the part of the Venn diagram of Rockford Files episodes that overlaps with Scooby-Doo episodes. Mm-hmm. Real estate scam. That's the <laughs> <laughs> rubber mask wearing villains. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That Well, that comes up because I think because Jim asked Dennis to check Sherman's financials. Right. Uh, and they were already on file with Milt uh, yes. because there's some kind of short-selling investigation. Uh, there's some jargon. I'm not 100% sure what the deal is. But basically, he sold shares that he shouldn't have or that he didn't have or something. And he yeah. ended up losing a bunch of money. There wasn't anything to actually, like, charge him with a crime. Like, he didn't. He covered his tracks or whatever. Yeah. So, Jim summarizes for us. So he ended up in $400,000 worth of debt from whatever this thing was. And then he borrowed $300,000, like, I guess, on, on the books to make up for it or whatever. Which means that he would have needed another 100000 in a hurry. Um, and so Jim thinks that, you know, he saw that he could get it out of this land and that Mullard advanced him this, yeah. this loan against the land that he did not yet own. And that's the motivation for getting TT declared incompetent so that his wife then can turn the land over to him to sell. Right. Um, Jim also asked Dennis to, uh, to, to check out the bottle of the bottle of gas that was in his car, which had been stolen from a pharmacy six months ago. So that's a cold lead. Yeah. So yeah, that's the, all of the effort that they're doing in the, the plot here to, to not have that just immediately point right at Dr. Chris and his facility. Well, And when he, in that scene, when he said, you know, we still have that, right. He says something Mm. like, we still have the nitrous from the, from the theft, right. Or something like that. Like (laughs) he stole it from himself. (laughs) So Dennis is like, all right, well, even if you, if all this that you say is true, I can't help you. Because it's in a different county. Yeah, cold, Dennis, cold. So, uh, of course, Jim goes to the Hall of Records in whatever this county is. We see him leave. He is being followed by one of Mullard's goons who uses his car phone to call (laughs) Mullard on his car phone. (laughs) I like how very direct this all is. He's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Rockford's coming out of the Hall of Records. And Mullard Mullard just says, kill Rockford. Yeah, like <laughs> there's no masking of it or we're not going to. Yeah, I appreciate having a clear villain. Yes, there are all these other people involved and there are some shades of gray and there's a little bit of like, what's this person's motivation? Why are they actually involved? But like this guy, we know he's the baddie. Yeah, yeah, he's the baddie. We know he thinks he's invulnerable, so he's just going to 
Right. Just do it. The next scene is another one that kind of like isn't really necessary, I don't think, but kind of lets the whole kind of world breathe a little bit where Jim goes to uh, he goes to this construction site. He's looking for uh, this construction foreman or whatever role he is. He's in charge of building things in this game. (laughs) Hank Gidley. He came to find him because uh, this guy is the contractor with the most county red tape issues. Yeah. So Jim's like, so obviously you must not be in with Mueller. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They have a little business here of kind of feeling each other out. And then uh, he comes around to telling Jim some stuff about Mullard. Uh, Nobody can beat him. When it comes to local government, there's no corners he can't cut. Uh, And same with the buildings that he builds. Yeah. Uh, He buys inspectors. He buys assessors. He has assessors over-assess people's land so that their taxes go up, so that he comes in with a sweetheart deal to to buy, and then he doesn't pay those taxes because he gets it reassessed. All these slimy tricks, right? All, all of this. I mean, like, I know that these are all actual criminal efforts that people have perpetrated in the past. Like, they're not just making this up whole cloth. <laughs> but I gotta tell you, they sound like so much work. <laughs> and just... Making sure you're not in over your head with the bribes. It's just, oh, it's ridiculous. It's like, hats off. He's industrious. It's a certain value system, right? Where it's like, I would rather spend the same amount of money in bribes to not pay taxes that I would (laughs) pay in taxes because I don't think it's right that I should pay taxes. So (laughs) I will bribe people instead. Right. 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 That's what makes criminals. Yes. Oh, God. Moving on before launching into a diatribe uh, about that kind of thinking. So uh, uh, Gidley says that, uh, and freedom is a prime hunk of land. This guy knows it. Like, he he knows it by name. You know, I might even put in a bid on it when it goes up for auction. Yeah. And Jim says, well, it's not going up for auction because someone paid the taxes two hours before the deadline. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a good example of, like, showing actions and implying what the lead up to that was, right? Because right. it's like, we knew that there were taxes owed, and we know that this deed is somewhere in play, but this is now clarifying to me, at least, that like, oh, okay, the county was going to repossess this land, and no matter who the owner is, which would now be, you know, uh, uh, Sherman and, and Kathy, it would still go to auction, mm-hmm. unless someone pays the taxes, which someone just did, and we find out at the beginning of the next scene where Jim is talking to Kathy, is a check from one of Mullard's companies that paid the taxes two hours before the deadline to keep it from going off to auction, keeping yeah. it in Kathy and Sherman's hands. That's kind of a boring thing to go through every step of, but since we're being told the outcomes of this process, we can kind of backfill why that why those are important and like what was going on. Yeah, no, it's uh, signature Rockford files. Yeah. Here's the intricate thing going on in the scam, but it's like totally ordinary and boring scam yeah. so here, here you go yeah it's 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 exposition by uh implication yeah th- this is where, where where it separates from the venn diagram with uh scooby-doo because it, <laughs> it, this is where they don't put on the masks and fake a haunting just straight up white collar financial dealings uh yeah so this this check from Mullard paid these taxes. So Jim is trying to convince Kathy that something nefarious is going on now. He has all yeah. this evidence, or he has all these things that he's putting together into a picture of the scam. He says that, you know, who paid the taxes 
Sherman's broke. Like he lost all his money on this, you know, selling uh, selling shares he didn't have or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Kathy's like, he's a brilliant businessman. He would never do that. It's like, oh boy, uh-oh. Ooh. So Jim lays out, you know, what he thinks is happening and kind of asks like, so are you sure that nobody talked you into having your father committed? She's saying like, no, nobody convinced her. She made the decision. I think this is like one of the real emotional moments that kind of gives mm-hmm. this episode weight. She says that it was a hard decision, but she made it. And yes. she was willing to make it because she cares about her father and she's worried about him and... She has to deal with the consequences of having made this decision, but it was hers. Um, And that's a really powerful emotional beat. Yeah. And uh, there's a great moment of poetry following it from Rockford, the counterpoint. Mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about. It's at the end of this conversation where Jim kind of backs off. He's, He's kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, like, fine. But who found the institution? Like, why did he go to there in particular? And she's like, oh, Dr. Christ. Why did you go to Dr. Christ? He's like, because of Sherman's lawyer. Who is also... The lawyer that Dr. Christ recommends. Yeah, and he was also the lawyer of, um, for Mullard. Putting it that way, right? It's like, okay, so no one leaned on you and forced you to make a decision, but maybe you were guided to this by all these other decision makers. And she's like, look, you don't know Sherman. I've been married to him for 14 years or whatever. You're trying to say I don't even know my own husband. What I noted the line is you hardly even know your father and he's buying a broken heart at 8 a.m yeah oh so good so good it was stated earlier that that's when he was going to get the electro shock therapy was going to be in the morning but yeah that's the beat that ends the scene we are left inconclusive about what kathy thinks yeah yeah but i'm convinced (laughs) (laughs) yes i've been convinced for a while In case you, in case we'd forgotten that uh, Mullard had ordered his goons to kill Jim, <laughs> uh, Jim goes back to his trailer, and uh, before he can even go in, uh, a goon appears with a gun. We're gonna go, we're gonna go for a walk down the pier. Um, but Jim manages to he he waits until the two. So there's two goons, and they're flanking him, and they're walking mm-hmm. next to a car, and he is making some 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 kind of uh, wry comment. And then just grabs one of their arms and throws them into the other guy. So they hit the car and they both go sprawling and he runs away. He runs behind a truck that's parked near the trailer that has a big gas can in the back of it. It's like a pickup truck. They start shooting at him. Uh, We see a shot hit the gas can. So now there's gas spewing out of it. Yeah. We see Jim grab a road flare out of the back of the truck. Then we go back to the goons. They hear him groan as if he's been shot. They go to investigate. And so I'm expecting Jim to just like pop up with the flare, but no, he no. runs around <laughs> the back of the, of the trailer and overhand pitches the flare over their heads into the truck and it bursts into flame. I, I mean, my notes say so much destruction for a Rockford Files episode. <laughs> like this is, that was, I think an uncharacteristically destructive move for Rockford huh. to pull off. Right. Uh, and also, had that been done 20, 30, or 40 years later, that truck would have blown up and killed those two goons, right. and we wouldn't have cared. We just yeah. wouldn't have cared. <laughs> um, this is a truck that the goons brought from the construction site there right, with the gasoline and the road flares in it. So, honestly, if they had died in the fire, it's their fault, yeah. right? Like that's... <laughs> But in this case, because it is Rockford Files, it uh, causes it just causes confusion and distraction, and Jim is able to peel out in the Firebird and make his escape. Though so he goes, of course, to Beth's place. 
which we know because of the plants yes um so we get uh we get the beth appearance in this episode um he's calling dennis he's trying to get some help here because this is the second time someone's tried to kill him rocky shows up so we have this beat here where first of all jim is now wanted because (laughs) the truck was stolen from mullard's construction yard right quote quotes stolen stolen and since it was at Jim's trailer, he's the suspect for the person who stole it. <laughs> so now Jim's like, well, I can't go home. If the cops don't get me, Mord's goons will. There's a moment of quiet despair where Jim's like, you know, I'm out of options. Yeah. I've done everything I can. Unless I break him out of Horizon's crest. <laughs> I have in my notes, revelation, exclamation point, And then revelation music exclamation <laughs> yeah. there's a music sting and he looks directly into the camera yes and a, a sparkle enters his eye as he says break him out of horizon's crest and i thought for certain that this is where the first episode would end mm-hmm. we have been on a journey there has been so much that's happened i was like we're there okay good but no but no there is an extremely good final sequence Yes. Can I just preface it with a quote? Yes. Any man who drives a car like that has got to have a crush on it. This is referencing uh, Christ's car, which is the yes. bright red, uh, as we learn, $26,000 Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the handy rule of thumb with the Rockford Files is just multiply it by five. Six digits mm-hmm. of car there. That is that is not a cheap car. I'm going to take a look at the Rockford Files files to see if our uh, our Patreon listeners who keep us oh, up yes. to date on all the car stuff manage to get to this episode. Uh, no, unfortunately. Our car, our car hookup has not entered... Uh, anything for this episode so you're gonna have to go to the tape listeners to determine exactly what what (laughs) car this is but it is a good one okay so we are now on for the rockford files colon the great escape yes (laughs) uh jim and rocky are gonna break tt out of the institution uh jim is giving rocky some instructions and then he heads in with his first of many cons he's from the funeral parlor and he's here to pick up a body and this is where he, as you were saying, the, this is the working man just needs a yes. just needs a favor con. Where it's like, oh. you know, I got a lot of these tonight. The services are in the morning. I have the paperwork right here. I'm running late. Yeah. My boss is breathing down my neck. Yeah. yeah. So this is the same the same guard that uh, we saw when he went to deal with the dump or with the tow truck the, the, or whatever. Yeah. Who I think we now establish is not very smart. No. Jim manages to kind of like keep him talking and he's looking at charts and stuff until this car horn starts blaring from the parking lot. And the guard's like, okay, okay, yeah, sure, fine. I need to go check on that. And he's like, okay, well, I, you know, I'll just go and do my job then, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll let you do your job. You let we both have stressful things. Let's just get through this. So he uh, heads into the institution, goes to TT's room. Uh, he sees all right. So he sees the the goons, the orderlies in the hall. He steps into a room. Um, there's someone asleep on a gurney in this room. Uh, Johnson, I believe. Jackson. Jackson. Thank you. I I have in my notes. Let's find out what kind of character Jackson is, and <laughs> we will not find out what kind of character Jackson is. Jim moves Jackson into someone else's room. Yes. Then he uh, goes to TT's room, who is yelling at the nurse, calling her a barren queen, which at first I was like, that's that's a mean thing to say. And then I realized it must be a B reference. 
like yes. a queen bee, not like Baron Queen. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I was <laughs> like, it felt like a slur, uh, but it wasn't. It wasn't what we thought it was. Yeah. So this poor beleaguered nurse just gets yelled at by everyone. Chris yeah. yelled at her to go prep him for this uh, for the therapy because he's moving it up and he wants to do it right now, and then. He's yelling at her and calling her a barren queen and that he doesn't want to get electrocuted. And then she continues to get yelled at. Rockford yells at her about Jackson, as we'll see. This poor woman. Jim gets on the intercom, says there's a a missing patient. Uh, Jackson is missing. The nurse needs to go find him. Stat. Stat, yes. Chris goes out to see what's going on with his car because... The horn is still 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 blaring. I want to point out here that one of the most wonderful bits about this con is that I'm spending all this time trying to figure out how they're pulling off the horn trick. Right. So we've we've had moments where we see the guard trying to turn it off and then the orderly goes out and is like, disconnect the battery. It's like, I did disconnect the battery and he's pulling right. wires out. So there's just wires everywhere. Yeah. It's just a piece that I love about this is that I am literally with them. Yeah. Because you just, you just hear the horn the whole time and you're just, you're like, shut that horn up. <laughs> like So Chris goes out there. What are you doing? This is my $26,000 vehicle. Yeah. Chris walks around the car, reaches underneath and pulls out an air horn that has been (laughs) just sitting under the car making the horn noise the whole time so good oh it's so good so rocky just put an air horn under the car and walked away that's that's all that happened yeah and they just they tore every wire out of that car (laughs) and chris just goes rockford yes Inside, Jim is wheeling TT out on the gurney. Uh, police cars are responding because Chris mm-hmm. was like, someone call the police. Jim hides TT in the empty room. Uh, now people are milling around outside. So now there's a bit where the nurse is like, Jackson is missing. And mm-hmm. Chris says, no, he's not. And he opens the door and <laughs> TT's under, you know, in the gurney, but facing the other way. And they're like, see, he's right there. He's tranquilized. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so after they leave, Jim then uses a clock radio, throws it in the toilet <laughs> to blow the breakers. So the lights go out. So now it's dark and there's confusion and all the patients are coming out of their rooms. He starts going through the patients and just going like, Jackson is missing. Jackson is missing. So everyone's worried about where Jackson is. Um, And the nurse is going, he's not missing. He's right there. And then she opens the door and the room's empty again. And she just (laughs) and she gets this look on her face and just goes, don't tell Dr. Christ. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The lights come back on from the emergency backups and Jim is wheeling TT under the blanket on the gurney down the, the hallway towards the entrance. The guard is there who thinks he's the undertaker with the body. So the guard doesn't stop him. Uh, so paying off that, that yeah. con. But as we go down the hallway, we see a squad car pull up and two cops get out of the car, come up to the outside of the door and just, and we freeze frame on Jim's face as he sees the cops at the door just about before he's about to get out of there to be continued. Yes. Also, I will hint, not the last nor penultimate freeze frame we'll get <laughs> in this two-part series. Uh, yeah, so that was part one. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the Information Superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com 
where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling pro wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi? I'm back. I have my DM42 with me, and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again. Mm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco. Well, let's get back to the show then. So that last sequence, like, I think I probably skipped, like, half of the little bits that are in it. There's so much. Go watch it, obviously. It's a beautiful back and forth. I have in my notes, like, why do I have so much stress in my gut about this? <laughs> like, while, while I'm watching it happening, I can feel myself tightening up over uh, all of this. And, like, I'd seen this episode before, and also I have this meta knowledge that Rockford sticks around for a few more seasons. <laughs> right, right. And still, it's a stressful one. It's a wonderful, wonderful, like, low-budget con. I keep thinking about, like, modern-day con movies that like or or shows that just you know they have a hacker and they have like all of this high-tech equipment that allows them to perfectly replicate somebody else's face or Mm -hmm. you know whatever and then it's an air horn (laughs) and it's a radio clock that you Mm -hmm. know those are the the two pieces of equipment they needed to carry off this daring rescue Mm -hmm. um the other bit that i wanted to point out and it was just uh, a neat little thing that they threw in there in the beginning, when he pulls TT out of the room, behind them are these two, these double glass doors that are clearly leading to the outside. They're dark because it's nighttime outside. Mm-hmm. They're clearly, and why aren't they going out those doors? Mm. Maybe it's an alarm. But then there's a moment shortly thereafter where Rockford says, "Every door in this place needs a key." Mm. Mm-hmm. They have a narrow pathway out. They have to go out those front doors because everything else is locked up and there's no way. Which makes sense if you have a facility where you're trying to lock people in. It doesn't make sense because that's not safe. But <laughs> it makes sense from like that's what Dr. Christ would do. Like he would he would definitely have everything locked down. And he can only go out those front doors because he he's fooled the front door guard. who's yeah. still there with the keys into thinking that he's this undertaker right yeah it's all part of the same the same scheme uh yeah i just wanted to shout out how well directed this sequence is because there's a lot going on there are a lot of people in a lot of places and at no point did i feel like i was lost in the action yeah it's always very clear where jim is where christ is what stage of panic the residents are at how far away the cops are all that stuff is all spatially um, distinct uh, and yeah. and paced so that you know when people are aware and how they just miss each other and all that stuff. I feel like that's a very skillful uh, thing. Yeah, and and that they do include all those elements, right? Like that they that, yeah, they, that they have... didn't simplify it. That it was like, yeah. no, it is going to have all these little details, and we're going to make it work. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's uh, probably one of the reasons why this episode is so memorable. Mm. When this episode started, I remembered bits and pieces of that scene. Yeah, and I, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get to that. When the scene started, I was like, oh, right, 
this scene. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that is the end of part one. Yeah. Hello. 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 We are plunging right into the second part of this two-part episode, The Trees, the Bees, and TT Flowers. Uh, yes. So this is season three, episode 15, where we just ended the first episode with this uh, fantastic breakout sequence. Um, because this was a discrete episode of television, there mm-hmm. was the traditional Rockford Files preview montage. Fortunately for everyone involved, there was, because this, I believe, uh, this has the single greatest preview montage moment in preview montage history. Go on. During all the other things happening in the preview montage, our villain, uh, Mullard, mm-hmm. Uh, is frustrated with Sherm because Sherm's wife, Kathy, will no longer listen to Sherm. So Mullard turns to Sherm and says, something I can't abide is a man who can't control his woman. Immediately after that, we cut to Beth. I'm Beth Davenport. It's it's perfect. It is the most exquisite F you to a <laughs> villain I have ever seen. It is just this great moment that like, yeah, asshole, here's mm-hmm. a woman you can't control. Boom. It's my favorite one-two punch of, I think, any of these uh, opening montages. It's extremely good. Um, I thought that you might have been going towards the climax of the preview montage, which is seeing the Firebird go over a cliff... And yes. explode. <laughs> there's honestly there's there's too much in this preview montage. You <laughs> like okay, let's say it's the nineteen nineteen seventy what are we in the seventy sixes now? Yeah, something like that. Seventy seven is January nineteen seventy seven. Uh you missed last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> and you see this preview montage and you think to yourself, I'm about to witness the greatest 45 minutes of television (laughs) history, and I don't know what happened up to this point. Well, fortunately for you, (laughs) we go back to the funeral, right? Right. How this opens is, so we have the preview montage. Then we go to, I I didn't check to see if it was exactly the same, but I'm pretty sure it was the same opening voiceover at the church of yeah. Rocky giving the eulogy for TT that opened the first episode. I believe so, yes. But I think it fades out at a slightly different place. And what it fades back to is the recap. So where in the first episode, we faded to kind of flashback to seeing the relationship between Rocky and TT and leading up to, to TT being taken away. Um this basically fades right back to TT being grabbed because that's like mm-hmm. the inciting incident. And then we go into a beat by beat recap of, you know, previously on. So I'm going to contrast this with the other two parter that we did in two ways. Because in Gear Jammers, that one was organized in slightly more discrete narrative arcs. It was one story, but each episode kind of was a mini story within that story that just connected mm-hmm. to each other. And also, when the second one started, we had James Garner doing a voiceover saying, this is what happened last time on The Rockford Files. Yeah, he's addressing us directly as James Garner. And then there was, uh, if I remember right, it was like a seven and a half minute yeah. uh, <laughs> montage um covering the previous episode this one it's integrated into the framing device for the entire story with the eulogy flashback which has already been used twice in the earlier episode and by modern standards still pretty long uh montage to show us what happened but this one was only about four four and a half minutes (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So I feel like they really learned over, uh, you know, over the seasons of processing these two-parters uh, in a little more organic way. I would agree. I mean, obviously, we watched them back-to-back. I had a break in the middle, like a two-hour break in the middle. So it was nice to have a recap. But um, <laughs> it so it, it did feel long by those standards, by, like, binging standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would I would assume that if I had been watching it on actual television, I would have welcomed every bit of it. I think it does. I think it did do this in Gear Jammers, where it ends the montage with the very last scene yeah. of the previous episode, and then just picks up and just keeps going from there. So that montage ends with Jim staring out the windows at the cops as yes. he has TT on the gurney. But then Jim breaks, goes to the security desk where he grabs the keys because the security guard, who thinks he's a undertaker, yeah. has like gone in to help with other stuff. He goes and unlocks the door for the cops and says, I'm so glad you're here. Like, it's getting crazy in there. There's going to be more like this one. And so these cops run in to go deal with whatever they think's going on. And Jim is able to scoot out scot-free get tt off the gurney into rocky's truck and they depart the scene unmolested well done jim and rocky so this is this is um a technique that is tried and true it's the cliffhanger right like Mm -hmm. we we have this moment that stops it where they say oh no jim's in trouble there's all these cops but like classic cliffhangers where the you know the ones where the name cliffhanger came from it's resolved right away Mm-hmm. It's not a, uh-oh, he's going to have to deal with that the whole episode. Nope. He, he just, a little quick thinking on the feet, and it's done, and he's on to the next bit of adventure. And Jim, part of his deal, right, is is that he's quick on his feet, but also, in another little nod to how he runs these cons, he acts like he belongs there, right? He, like, yeah. He gets the yeah. keys. He unlo- He doesn't act like a suspect. He acts like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. So the cops just don't even question. Yeah. Uh, so it's just another level of the various levels of <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of of what he did in that last sequence. He couldn't be a criminal. A criminal wouldn't be glad to see me. But yeah. So they get out of there. We finally have a Jim, Rocky, and TT conversation. Uh, finally, TT Flowers is no longer being pumped full of drugs. Jim gives them kind of some some instructions on staying staying at motels and and staying safe. <laughs> Jim gives that advice, I think, like three or four times a season. <laughs> like <laughs> nobody can stay safe in a hotel. So Jim is gonna is being honest. He doesn't think that at this point they can save freedom, but he thinks that they can get TT declared sane. And then he can sue for all of this maliciousness that's been done to him. Get enough enough for him to get 50 acres anywhere he wants. And Rocky says, it's going to be all right. And then we cut from Rocky saying that back to the eulogy for T.T. Flowers. And this is where we start integrating the frame into the timeline a little bit, I think. Yeah. This time as... Rocky continues to ramble. The camera's moving around and showing us more of the people in the audience. We see Mullard's there with some of his goons. We see that some of his goons have bandages. One of them has bandages around his hand. Yes. Another one has like some on his face or something. Uh, and Mullard starts rolling his eyes and then just goes, you know, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go <laughs> wait outside. And as he leaves, Rocky is saying, there was one time. There's, so there's this whole thing in the last the last time we were at the eulogy where Rocky said the city wasn't his friend. And we went to Dennis yeah. and Dennis couldn't help. 
So now Rocky's saying, there was one time the city was his friend and we fade <laughs> to Beth's apartment. <laughs> yes. And this fade in to, to let us know that we're in Beth's apartment. The camera fades in on a ceramic. I th- I'm going to guess Shih Tzu, uh, <laughs> some little fluffy dog uh, ceramic bookend. Mm. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is Beth's apartment. I love the depictions of Beth's apartment. That's all. It's there's no consistent set for her apartment. Sometimes it's yeah. very yellow. <laughs> Sometimes it's white. Sometimes there's a cat in there. But there's always plants. Yes. Uh, and Jim sleeps on the couch. That's the other. Yes. That's the other constant. <laughs> so, uh, and Jim is there. Rocky's calling. TT took the truck in the middle of the night and left a note that he's going back to freedom. He just can't stand to stay away from his uh, from his farm. Jim is like, I have to go up there. He, something's going to happen to him. Beth doesn't want him to go. Jim Jim's a wanted man, both for Grand Theft Auto for quote stealing the truck from Mullard's yes. construction site, and for kidnapping. Because <laughs> when you get right down to it, he did kid- kidnap yeah, TT. Yep. And also, Freedom is going to be crawling with people who want him dead. Right, all these other bad actors that uh, we're going to get caught back up with. So we cut from there to the SWAT standoff at Freedom. Yes. This is a really interesting scene. Uh, and I think it's mostly the interplay between the... I think they just call him the commander, the the guy who's in charge of this... Uh, I mean, it's basically a SWAT team. Uh, they, no, they called it the SWAT, actually. Uh, uh, Beth said that's a SWAT situation. Mm. So there's this interplay between all of our principles, right? Yeah. So TT's inside with a rifle. He has all this, like, World War II era... Um, gear. He has like gas masks and stuff. Yeah. He's inside. He says he's not coming outside until the machines are off his land, the bulldozers and whatnot. Jim is there as TT's friend. Beth has come with him as his lawyer, as Jim's lawyer, and she also says she's representing TT and that Jim's going to turn himself over voluntarily so that he can help defuse the situation. Uh, and then our, our, our villains are also present. So we have Sherman, who is TT's son in law who is kind of the bad actor in all of this, uh, as we're discovering, in service of getting this land to sell to Mullard, the real estate developer, who's like the the mastermind uh, behind this whole scheme. They're both present uh, for this whole thing. So, oh man, where to begin? What, What makes this interesting to me is how Everyone is trying to take action, but it's all passing through this police commander who's trying to keep the situation yeah. as low-key as possible so that nobody gets hurt. That's what he cares about. He, he's he's a great, great character because, like, uh, and I love the way uh, Robert Duque, oh, I'm going to have trouble with his name. Uh, oh, he was in RoboCops, so, uh, or Robo's Cop. Um, anyways, the thing that I, I love about this guy is that he, his eyes are always on that house. He's mm-hmm. always watching. He's not being distracted by all of the nonsense going on around him. And he constantly brings everyone back to that point, right? Like mm-hmm. once things look like they're about to get out of control, he's like, can we pay attention to the guy with the gun? Mm-hmm. I have a job to do here. I don't care what's happened before. I just need you to pay attention to what's what's happening because that's that's what he's paying attention to. And I, I, he's he's a great character because he just he just kind of cuts through all the bullshit. Yeah, yeah. It is kind of uh, heartening to see a armed standoff SWAT situation 
where the emphasis is on is on de-escalating the situation yeah. and not on the action of digging out someone who's holed up yeah. using your superior firepower and all that stuff. So there's a couple components to this scene. Essentially what happens is Jim gets the commander to let him go in and talk to TT face to face. In there, we get we get the, the emotional heart of TT Flowers, right? He's mm-hmm. we go in, the house is trashed, everything's been pulled down, and most symbolically, this portrait of his wife, who passed away many years ago, yes. has been like ripped in half and is just dangling on one nail. And because we have seen the previous episode, uh, we know that that might have been done with this nasty looking axe. <laughs> He's get, going to help him, and he just hands him this, you know, double-headed axe, like, use this. Yeah. So that's from the, you know, Sherman and the goons ripping out, apart the house, looking yeah. for his will and the deed and all that stuff. Um, but TT says that his mind's made up. He can't just stand aside while they pave over freedom. Yeah. Um, and he has this whole thing. He looks out the window, and there's a big tree in the front. And the tree's name is Alexander. He planted that tree. And he goes on about all the trees he planted and raised from seeds. And what happened to the fruit orchards. Because he's had to sell parts of the land over the years. And when he has, Mullard has bought them and just plowed everything under. So, like, when the orange grove got plowed under, all the other fruit trees knew it. And all the fruit shriveled up and rotted and... And he, you know, he he said he'd never let that happen again. It's really, and Jim's just like, yeah, letting him say his piece, trying to be like, yes, but you're in danger. We can fix this, you know. Just put the gun down and come back with me. And TT's like, why? Yeah, if this place goes under. I don't have anything left. Um, and it's very sad. The 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 punctuation on it is he looks out the window again at at Alexander. And then he just slumps down and looks at it and is just talking about how, how beautiful it is in the soft morning light. And he's looking yeah. up at the at the light filtered through the trees. And and this is the moment when Jim realizes that he's not going to be able to talk him out right. of it, right? Like, this is Jim's like, okay, here's here's a horrible thing. So, so Jim comes back out. He says, you know, he's not going to come out. The commander orders tear gas. He tells everyone to, like, get, you know, get hot or whatever. They're going to start moving in. Oh, yeah. And then in the background, while he's giving these orders, we hear a car coming up, and uh, TT's daughter Kathy has finally arrived. Yeah. Um. So she comes up and is like pretty distraught about what's going on. Uh, my note here is that this poor commander has no patience for the squabbling. Yeah. Because like they all start <laughs> blaming each other. This is like enough of this. We have a man with a gun in there, right? Yeah. Jim says it's TT's daughter, right? Yeah. The when the commander calls his troops off because he knows that uh, or he's going to, you know, try and have the daughter speak some sense into Mm -hmm. him. uh, He has this great line where he's like, back on safety, man, deal with the adrenaline as best you can, which is just great. It's just this like, no, this is not a, a, a thing where these guys can just go back and forth between we're about to get shot at to. Okay, we're we're not like that's a tense situation. That's a thing that everyone's going to get nerves worn on. Right. And like this guy clearly has been through this kind of thing. Yeah. He is a veteran of these kinds of standoffs yeah. is what it seems like. Uh we talk about kind of the the feeling of being in a lived world, right, with yeah. the Rockford yeah. Files. And this is one of those moments that's like there's a whole story of this commander. Like we could <laughs> leave from here with him and see what the next thing he goes to is. Exactly. And, and so on. Um 
so they yell that, you know, she's out there. Your daughter's out here. TT says that he ain't got a daughter. Yeah. And she's like, this is all wrong. I don't want to see my father killed. And then Sherman says, let the professionals handle it. Yeah, Sherm, you ass. <laughs> In my notes, what an asshole. Yeah. It's like, I don't want my Every... daughter to get shot by a cop. Let the cops handle it, honey. Right. I, I have like four points in this in these notes where i'm like sherm the douche this is where we really see just what a terrible person this guy is um so kathy's like okay look we're not gonna sell the title on this land till we can work this out Mm -hmm. uh sherman says that it's already sold jim who apparently knows these things says the title doesn't transfer until the end of the business day yeah oh and so so kathy's like talking and mullard tells her let the men handle this yeah. Which is like, oh. This guy just keeps digging his own grave. And then the commander, again, cutting through all this mess, says, okay, so what I'm hearing here is that this is a family squabble mm-hmm. and that the issue is that your equipment is on this land that you don't have title to. So take your stuff off the land until the family can settle their affairs. Yes. And that's what DS, that's what ends the standoff. Mord get his guys get the tractor off the land and... TT comes out without the gun. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do want to point out that there was time spent watching that tractor drive up onto a flatbed, mm-hmm. which was great. It was just, there's just something about heavy equipment and the Rockford files where they're like, this is intrinsically interesting to watch. So we're going to sit back and watch this tractor drive up onto a flatbed because you don't see that every day if you're not in the construction business enjoy <laughs> yeah it's another part of letting it breathe right? yes that's why it's, yes. it's a nice two episodes yeah. um and so how this all comes out tichi comes out they're going to book him for discharging a firearm and then he'll be released and the family's going to have to handle their business mm-hmm. the cops have no more interest in this now that it is no longer an active situation tt says that he doesn't want to go back to the funny farm um, and he doesn't want Kathy on his property because he doesn't have a daughter because yeah. he is mad at her, which makes sense. Beth mentions that they're going to need to work quick to keep the title from transferring by the end of the day. Uh, Jim's like, well, I'll be out of it. I'm going to be safe in a cell downtown. But then the commander says, I just got word. All the charges have been dropped. You're free to go. And Muller is standing <laughs> there with a shitting grin. You know, because he's the one who is pressing the charges, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, this is very ominous. I forget. He says something. But in my notes, I just say, Mullard crows about it. Yes. <laughs> so this is another, like, kingpin maneuver, right? Like, oh, no, I don't want him in jail. I want him out here. <laughs> and the end of this sequence, uh, we have Mullard uh, pressuring Sherman kind of off to the side away from everyone else. He needs to get that title this is where, from the preview montage, the line about... Yeah, I, I, I can't abide a man who can't control his woman. Apparently, he's already paid $120,000 for this land. Mm-hmm. He doesn't yeah. want to be out that, plus the, quote, millions in profits if Sherman doesn't deliver. Sherman says, what's the big deal? He's an old man. It'll, t- it'll transfer when he dies anyway. We just have to wait a little while. And... Lord says, you know, if you if you can't get that title, basically, uh, TT is going to have a fatal accident. Yeah. And just straight out says that the the bluntness of this villain. It's great because it, it just goes to show how 
I mean, in one in one way, it's how confident he is about his abilities, but also like it feels legitimately confident. Like, yeah, every place they've gone, people are like, "We can't do anything about this guy. This guy's you know too powerful. He's got everyone." Yeah, and he's yeah he's he's a man who's completely in- insulated from consequences. Yeah. All right. So we have that ominous note uh, later that day. Uh, Jim and Beth return to the farm. TT is taking care of his bees. Yeah, my notes for this scene are everything's back to normal. Job well done. I guess we can relax and move on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Beth and Kathy kept the deed in his name. They have an appointment for hearing to get this judgment of uh, incompetence uh, reversed. But Jim, you know, it's not over yet. He wants him to stay out of town, stay in a motel. Um, But there's this whole thing where he needs to go to Ojai to pick up his bees yeah, there's uh, there's something happening with them spraying. It's spraying season, so right. they'll try and spray, and if you can't get the bees out of there, the, the bees will die from the pesticide. There's an environmental message. I believe I remembered the mention of Ojai, because there was an episode where Rocky oh, yeah. was going to go look at, a, look at a truck up in Ojai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a little cut where there's some ominous music, and we see one of the goons stashing something that looks awfully like an explosive yeah. underneath the flatbed truck uh, in TT's yard. And then we get to a unexpectedly serious scene. Like, I completely forgot about this element of the, of the episode. Mm-hmm. Jim and Beth go back to Kathy's house. Mm. An ambulance is there. And oh, yeah, yeah. Someone, the maid or one of the, the, the uh, paramedics, says that they got a call that um, the lady of the house fell down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, so they go in, and then Jim and Beth are in there, and, the, and the, the maid comes out and tells them that she fell down the stairs uh, after, she had a, after Sherman and the real estate people were there. And they say what real estate people and she says that she overheard one of them saying that he's going to help tt buy that farm today <laughs> uh so jim's like ah you see you see beth buy the farm means kill him yeah that, <laughs> that is code that uh, we in the underworld would use <laughs> um one of the the my favorite sort of constructions here is this we've seen her bruised face a couple times now in the flash forward at the funeral kathy's yeah and we've been waiting for that sort of foot to fall mm-hmm. and there have been a couple moments where it seemed like that was going to be the thing most notably is when she showed up to uh freedom and there was the standoff right mm-hmm. and people were like oh you could get hurt uh and it was like oh this is where she gets hurt like you you're constantly waiting for mm-hmm. this horrible moment and uh it's it's kind of a good technique to keep your audience on edge like to tease them with the horrible moment a little bit i know i sound like a monster saying that but i'm just saying uh we're doing the same thing with rocky and his and his uh sling right um so so let's see jim calls the motel to tell tt someone's after you but they've they've already gone and when the paramedics comes back down the stairs he's going to get the respirator because this woman did not fall down the stairs she was worked over pretty bad and has also od'd on reds reds yes uh which i assume are a tranquilizer of some kind it clearly indicates that all factions of the conspiracy are at work here Mm -hmm. we've got the goons from the construction site uh and we've got the the medical, uh, the pharmaceutical armory of uh, Dr. Christ. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow, both. But then I think it's pretty much stated that she 
the OD is a suicide attempt. Oh. Because that's where that note comes from. Right. At the end of the scene. Yes. This is kind of like the darkest part of the of the episode. Wow, I missed that. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, because there is this note. Right. So the goons, in the presence of her husband, beat her up pretty bad. Yeah. Um, so then she she writes this note and then tried to OD on on pills. And the note is to TT because Beth finds it. And so she reads it out for Jim and for us. Sherman watched these two men, you know, beat me up and then said that if she told anyone, you know, they would kill you, kill my yeah. father. I'm sorry. I This is like the only way I can see, keep you safe or something like that. And she reads that out as they carry her down the stairs on a stretcher. It's pretty... Yeah, it's grim. Grim. I mean, we know that she's in the sense of we have seen this in the eulogy timeline. So we know that she's okay. But in the moment, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Also during this business, Jim calls the division commander of the cops that are, you know, in the county that Freedom is at to ask them to send uh, a patrol car to warn TT about he's Because there's no phone there. And of course, this division commander literally says, you know, no one in this department would dare cross Mullard. Yep. <laughs> he is in charge. He's in charge. He's like, well, can you just send someone? He's like, you know, it's shift change. I have no units to spare. I think this is the most kind of cartoony yeah. kind of part. I'm a cop, but I can't do anything about this guy threatening to murder people because mm-hmm. he's too powerful and pays off all my people and me. I will tell you this on the phone. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, hopefully you're not recording it. This is a little scene that I think could have just not be in this episode, but it's yeah. here to demonstrate how powerful Mullert is. It also gives uh, a vector for tipping off Mullard uh, right, about right. what's happening. Well, even though he actually doesn't need that vector because there's a different one. But yeah. Um, anyway, so this is kind of the low point. Well, I guess there's another lower point, but that's a more <laughs> that's a more dramatically fictional low point this is the most actual emotional low point for me of like oh my god poor kathy yeah but she gets she comes out okay everyone um jim calls the neighbor that tt doesn't like if you remember way back at the beginning of the first episode the (laughs) one that he threw rocks at he calls this neighbor to to ask him to keep an eye out for when they show up and tell tt and rocky that they're in danger from mullard mullard on his goons including sherman are sitting in a car watching the place so the neighbor comes out sees sherman goes over and is like oh you're tt's son-in-law so can you pass this message on to him yeah a guy named rock four so now we cross cut between jim speeding to get to the farm yeah tt and rocky arriving at the farm and getting into the flatbed where we know that device has been planted uh and then mullard watching them and then following them in their car um jim then arrives at the farm after everyone else was gone he goes to uh see if tt's there and then we got first goon with pipe and then dramatic arrival of goon with nunchucks yes <laughs> i don't say the very first appearance of the teenage mutant ninja turtles this is michelangelo <laughs> and donatello are ready to work jim rockford over so we've seen at least one of the goons, the one with the pipe. We've definitely, he's been in play yeah. the whole time. He's been one of the construction guys that's been beating him up and stuff like that. And try one of the guys who tried to kill him at his um, trailer. This guy with the pipe, this is his moment to shine as he has some dialogue and he keeps <laughs> oh. t- calling Jim old stick. Yeah, he's got that. He, he mentions the other guy and he says he once pulled a train off a trestle for the fun of watching it fall. Right? Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's some sweet old timey badass poetry is what that is. Um, Jim uh, holds off these two guys with a two by four. Why the nunchuck guy is using nunchucks is never explained. It just apparently is what he likes. You don't have to. He's he's a he's an artist. And he's not like doing like karate or anything. He's just trying to hit Jim with a nunchuck. <laughs> he's like, I could do this and I could do butterfly dives. And they're like, let's do the nunchucks. Yeah, why not? So there's no music during this. So it's a very serious, grim kind of yeah. fight. It, Jim seems like he's really in danger. Uh, finally, Jim kind of like, he backs away. They've broken his two by four. He's just holding it in one hand. Come and get some. Yeah. The two guys charge at him. And then they fall into the collapsed uh, <laughs> uh, cover of a well that actually had been set up in the first episode. Because yes. when Jim and Rocky went to the farm for the first time, Jim stepped on it and almost fell in. And Rocky was like, oh, that's the old well. And we get it in the recap at the beginning of this episode as well. To remind us that there's an old well. The moment before it happens, Jim's like, all right, just come at me. Like, there's a resignation to that. Yeah. Like, that's a classic, you know, broken old man move. <laughs> but it's not the move that Jim makes, right? He's saying that he's playing that role mm -hmm. to get them to walk over the well. And oh, it's so good. So good that there's a thing about Jim's situational awareness. Like he mm -hmm. just like he encountered it. So he knows it's there and it's always in his back pocket. If he needs to pull it out for some reason, right? When it suddenly becomes relevant, it's like, Oh, right. The old well, I just need yeah. to get these guys over here. Yeah. It's great. Um, Jim takes off. Uh, we now go through our kind of climactic action sequence. So we have Rocky and yes. TT in the flatbed with this device underneath it. They're driving. Uh, Mullard's car is following with Mullard, Sherman, the guy who planted the device, who's the guy who blew up the trestle just to watch the train fall or whatever. And then Jim is following, speeding, trying to catch up. Um, so the device is radio activated they have to like pull yeah. a little trigger thing they have to be within a mile and sherman says isn't it like isn't it supposed to look like an accident and the guy says oh what this thing does is basically it, it blows all you know blows some some kind of something yeah it just looks like a mechanical failure it's like oh okay so the audience understands now so there's a steep downgrade uh that everyone is is on in this winding you know california hill hill road jim catches up to them on this downgrade and we have a little bit of like chicken as they're trying to keep jim from getting around them mullard starts taking pot shots at jim with a with a pistol out the back <laughs> of his uh out the back window and then this is all dramatized so that, that's the exterior action and then inside the car uh mullard wants sherman to pull the trigger yeah kill your father-in-law and Sherman can't do it. He finally yeah. he just says, like, I can't, I can't do this. I've, I've, I've sunk only as low as I possibly can. They end up fishtailing out, uh, avoiding some on, another car or something. And Jim does get by them. But uh, once he gets by them, they all get out of the car. And the other, the, the explosive goon takes the, <laughs> takes the box. The second part of this is he triggers the device. The brakes go out on the flatbed. Jim catches them and then goes around them and then tries to use the Firebird to physically slow yeah. the flatbed. I, I had written in my notes here is that TT is lucky he let Rocky drive. Yes. Right? Because mm. this is 
this is Rocky's brakes have probably gone out <laughs> uh, on a downhill slope at some point while he was trucking, and he just knows how to deal with it. Uh, and then you've got Jim. It's it's great because Rocky's dealing with it. Yeah, and then he's like, "Hey, that's Jim behind us." Yeah, <laughs> yeah so together they they try to uh, uh, slow the car with Jim getting in front of the car and slowing down. And then he's got some choice words for Rocky. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some times where he's like, "No, no, what's he communicating? I don't know. I don't." But um, it's it's clearly a stressful situation, mm-hmm. and and we end up with another horrifying moment in this story. The ro- the road is too curvy. He can't stop this with the firebird it's too swervy so the firebird finally kind of like gets pushed like kind of fishtails itself and is heading towards the edge of this cliff um we have a shot where rocky turns to tt and says you know jump and then we go out to a long shot and we see the firebird go over yes from the preview montage we see the firebird go over the the cliff i think there's a little bit of like some fire yeah (laughs) then the flatbed goes over it, flips over, and lands on the Firebird. And then they both go up in flames. Oh, that hurt. It it's hurts like, oh, so bad. No. And then we cut back, and we see Rocky in the bushes. And then he starts moving. And yeah. then he finds TT. TT's on his back with his eyes closed, and his leg is bloody. And then Rocky starts, uh, you know, calling, calling for Jimmy. Yeah. And then we cut from that back to the eulogy. Well, yes. Yeah, so now we understand the sling. And perhaps the funeral? Who knows? I feel like at this point, if you've been watching the Rockford Files, you're probably like, all right, let's see the twist. Yep. It's not dramatic for the audience, I think, because we're waiting to see where this is going. This is all for the benefit of the characters in the fiction of the show. Yeah, yeah. We are now caught up to the framing eulogy timeline. Rocky finishes his his remarks. Per the funeral notice, there is an announcement. (laughs) Uh, there was a new will found mm-hmm. of T.T. Flowers, and it is going to be read after the service concludes at the law office that those of us who know uh, at uh, Beth's um, yeah. law practice where, where she works. Sherman, Kathy, and the goons leave uh, Mullard's on his phone, uh, on his car phone. Sherman says that a new will won't matter because he was they never reversed the declaration yeah. of incompetency or whatever uh and he mentions like that not only tt but also rockford died so there's no one to you know get in the way and that kathy didn't get the judgment reversed and i think in this shot like however they did the makeup she looks more we see her bruises more than we did in the the church and she's kind of standing in the background like nodding when he when he says stuff to her and everything and it's like oh oh dear where is this going uh, this is going to uh, the law office where Brockmeyer, uh, Sherman's lawyer, who we have heard of but not met, I think, is there. Don't worry. He squeezes as much douche into as small as <laughs> he, <laughs> he really can. Does. He says it's all fine. He has the only original will. There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Beth meets. Uh, so Kathy, Sherman, and Brockmeyer go inside and meet Beth. There's a terrible line here where she says, I'm a junior partner, blah, blah, blah. And Brockmeyer says, I don't deal with junior partners. Yeah. They go into the boardroom, and Sherman is shocked because, dun, 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 (laughs) T.T. Flowers and Jim Rockford are both there, still alive, hale and hearty. Well, T.T.'s in a wheelchair, but alive and well. Yeah. Uh, Sure enough, they put out a false funeral notice to buy the DA time to look into everything. 
<laughs> and it was Kathy's deposition from her hospital bed that got it all going. Sherman is shocked and terrified. TT has a great line in here where he's like, kind of crawls your nape, don't it, Sherm? <laughs> that man is pure poetry. So we get all of the all of the stuff in exposition. Uh, the judge rescinded the diminished judgment. Uh, TT testified to the grand jury uh, about everything that had happened. The bar looked into Brockmire and the yeah. American Medical Association looked into Dr. Christ and they found all the terrible things that they do. And the DA put it all together. That is all this big operation, just like defrauding families. And not only does the, you know, the lawyer recommend them to the psychiatrist who then gets them committed uh, to his own facilities. Uh, or they also buy from a pharmacy that Christ owns. Yeah. And the homes are all built by their silent partner, Mullard. And then that other doctor, he double bills Medicare. <laughs> right on top of all of that. The cops show up. Brockmire's arrested. And Jim lays out in a couple lines that uh, for Sherman. Yes. That if you don't turn state's evidence and testify against Mullard, he's just going to kill you anyway. And then the cops will have a murder rap for it to, to pin on him in addition to everything else. Yeah, the way he, he announces this, he's got this line where he's like, and then the undercover boys will be photographing your death in living color. Yeah, it's a good line. Just so you know. We go outside, the uh, the police open the door and pull Mullard out to arrest him. T.T. yells at him from the wheelchair. <laughs> uh, and justice is served. Hey. We end our two-parter back at Freedom. Um, where the the house is all fixed up on the inside. There are there's a news story covering uh, <laughs> what happened to TT Flowers and how it highlights you know the the, the flaws in the uh, in how we take care of our older the older generation and yeah I I do enjoy that when that news broadcast finishes the broadcaster's voice is like the property tax situation takes a turn for the worse and they turn it off <laughs> they turn it off yeah. TT apologizes for Jim's car. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim says, ah, the insurance will take care of that, though my premiums will go up a little. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jim. What insurance do you have that covers your car being yeah, completely yeah. destroyed by going off a cliff and then having another car fall on top of it and then exploding? That's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. And then we end our episode by oh, going outside. Ending. TT's saying stuff about bees, and then he sees his neighbor that he doesn't like spraying pesticides on uh, the trees across the way. They yell at each other, and then TT just starts hurling rocks. Yes. We hear a window break. And bigger rocks. And there's like three freeze frames. I think there's one on the neighbor with a horrified look on his face. Then there's one on, I think, Jim as he's looking at TT. And yeah. the final one is just this freeze frame on TT Flowers with holding a huge rock with just this look of, I am enraged uh, yes. on his face. End of episode. Uh, it was, it, I, I really enjoyed this episode. It had, it had some dark moments. It had some unsettling moments, which mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't count as a bad thing at all. Um, but it also was like, it was kind of just a romp mm -hmm. in a lot of places. And, uh, it went to a lot of different places and it didn't feel like it was all over the place. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's different parts of this episode where I could cut them out and show them to people and 
they wouldn't give a hint of what the rest of the episode was like. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole hostage negotiation with the SWAT team and the captain there feels of a piece. Yeah, it's its own little drama there. The, yeah. the the breaking TT out of the facility, like that's its own little great escape kind of piece. The the two uh, runaway vehicle situations, mm. the first one with the laughing gas and the second one with the, um, the brake line being exploded, mm. I guess. And then throw on top of that uh, a melange of Rockford's uh, villainous scams, right? right. Like there's real estate and uh locking up uh old people against their like it's there's there's a lot of going on and yet this holds it all together and i kind of like that it's just straight up a bunch of crooks like it's not the mob it's a criminal empire but it's not like yeah it's not organized crime it's not labor it's not like crooked labor like union people yeah these are all kind of stupid people in positions of power where one smart person in a position of power was like, oh, here's how I can use all these people to make myself more rich. Yes. Right. And then yes. once he's, you know, once once he goes up, up against someone who's even a little uh, smarter or more clever or whatever than him, it all comes it all comes crashing down. Yeah. So, yeah, this is definitely in in my the echelon of of favorite Rockford episodes, I think. One of the IMDb reviews is not very complimentary of this episode. Uh It says that uh, the script is a preposterous mishmash of sentimental melodrama right from the start. (laughs) Oh, God. In the story's one ironic touch, Rockford's police buddy Dennis Becker recaps for him just how idiotic the plot is. Um, I think that was... I am here for preposterous sentimental melodrama, Yeah, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, Yeah, no, I am too, definitely. I do think that is an ironic moment where Dennis like lays out, like, this sounds yeah. like a ridiculous conspiracy, but it's dramatically ironic. Like, it's not ironic by accident. Like, it's right. in there in order to showcase for us how, like, bizarre this whole thing is and how much work Jim is going to have to do to convince anyone of what's going on. And it's, I mean, like, that's the thing that Rocky was up against. It's it's the whole reason why they're able to take T.T. Flowers in the first place, the implausibility of it all, uh, which I I wouldn't say is evidence that such a thing would exist or whatever, but, like, uh, it definitely worked for me. I was on board. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the other reviews are are more... more, uh favorable more in our in our wheelhouse i just thought that that was an interesting thing where it's kind of like in on one level every rockford episode is kind of a contrived yeah uh situation it's just at what point do you find it too contrived right right because like some of them we do find too contrived uh if the melodrama is effective enough i'm on board and this one had effective melodrama for me like i found like i think we talked about how tt flowers is poetic um, I think the the way that he speaks uh, about what he loves is very affecting. But if you found that cheesy, then you probably wouldn't like this episode, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily a going to hit it out of the park with every audience mem- member episode. But I definitely appreciated watching it. <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah, it's fun. And the pace is wild. Like, I'm like, oh, it's a two-parter. Yeah. It's going to be kind of slow and kind of build up. No, like, from the beginning. Like, that entire <laughs> first episode is just, like, every single moment, stuff is happening. Uh, and then the second episode is kind of playing out the playing out the consequences. 
Uh, I think that um, I'm trying to think if I made any notes about like techniques in particular I wanted to use. Like the uh, the foreshadowing uh, that they used in the funeral was great mm-hmm. uh, and subtle enough that I, we both had to see it twice to see the sling. Mm-hmm. You know, like it wasn't in our face or whatever. Yeah, I think uh, it was constructed to show us more of those elements each time yeah. we went back to the to the eulogy. And yeah, and I like that the eulogy covered the same bits, uh, but just extended it. Yeah. Later, like that was great. It wasn't. You, you don't get like a big long eulogy. You keep going back to this, which is necessary for what they did. They did it as two episodes that were separated by a week when it originally aired. Uh, so you needed a reminder. So you just go back and redo the first part. But there was something about that repetition, even in this semi binged format that we consumed it in that just felt good. Yeah. Felt really satisfying. And I think because it was because, because the, the repetition was both inside each episode and the over the frame for both episodes. Yeah. Right. So it, I mean, it wasn't a motif because it was like actually part of the plot and how the story was structured, yeah. but that repetition of that element of going back to it and then having a specific line bring us to a specific point in the history mm-hmm. uh, to to dramatize, you know, what was going on was, I found that very effective. Yeah, I would agree. You did find that effective. I think maybe the last fun fact for this uh, episode, that church where they were doing the eulogy uh, is the same church that they filmed Angel's fake yeah. fake funeral in Chicken Little as a Little Chicken. That makes sense. I kept thinking about that episode. Yeah. And I, I checked thinking. and yeah, same place. So it's a good place for fake funerals. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a great title for a Rockford Files episode. A good place for a fake funeral. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, do you have anything else about trees or bees or TT flowers? Uh, no. I mean, we, as we pointed out in the earlier part, <laughs> uh, all of the money details and all of the food details were handily taken care of right away. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Um, it. It's clear to me that Rockford's out. <laughs> whatever's deductible is. And yeah, whatever is deductible is, is premiums. And a lot of gas. Yeah. And however much they had to pay for that uh, air horn that sounds yeah. like a car horn. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was a delightful episode. Would watch again. For sure. In my head, I feel like this was kind of one of the like, I don't really remember it. The other two parters are more memorable, but I'm mm-hmm. glad that you picked this one because it's a delight. So thank you, Epi. Well, thank you, Sam and Kate, for recommending it to me. If you have uh, other specific recommendations for, for episodes you'd like us you would like to see us do our archive of what we've already done is at 200 aday.fireside.fm there's also a link there in the top bar to the 200 a day rockford files files which yes. uh, is a spreadsheet of all the episodes stuff that is in them and the ones that we've done and comments from us and from some of our patreon supporters um so if you want to contribute to that or just support the show uh, patreon.com slash 200 a day is where to do that you can also get in touch uh with you know questions comments other episodes you'd like us to do uh at 200 pod on twitter which we will be better at checking i promise <laughs> um and uh 200 a day podcast at gmail.com uh to contact us via the electronic mail all right so um i would say that thankfully 
we do not have a deductible to pay on our destroyed Firebird. Um, <laughs> one could even say that we perhaps made our $200 for this day. Indeed. So we will see you next time to talk about another episode of The Rockford Files.